Oh, okay. Holy crap. Let's walk down the stairs into this interview. <laughs> Holy crap. Let's let's deadlift right into this thing. <laughs> Holy crap. Let's squat our way into this interview. Stop. Holy crap. It's time for liftoff. Let's let's pull the curtain off this interview and Squat jump right into it. You've done it. You've broken. You've broken me. You've broken me. Great. That'll be the cold open, clearly. Hello, and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I'm your host, Chris Savage. I'm joined, as always, by my bud, Sylvie. I'm here. You're here. We're here. We get to hang out again. Again. I love yeah, it. Yeah, me too. So a lot going on. We have a great interview today with Ben Tossel, who was the founder of MakerPad, which was acquired by Zapier. Before that, he led community at Product Hunt. But I discovered him because he writes a daily newsletter called Ben's Bytes, which offers a deep dive into AI. You love and so AI. As you can expect with what's going on in the world today, we're going to be spending a lot of time with Ben talking about AI. But first. But first. Um, you know, Sylvia, I'm talking pretty loud over here. I did something last weekend that was so fun, brought me so much joy, which was I took an acting class with my seven-year-old, with Zoe. No way. I love this already. Yes. And most of the activities, you know, you send your kids to, like they do and you don't. Yeah. Do, right. Or they do a thing that like, oh, you're going to play soccer. Great. Like if I play Zoe in soccer, I'm going to destroy her, obviously. Right. Like. <laughs> You know, if I take a rock climbing, I'm going to climb harder stuff. Like, that's how it is. But the thing that was so cool about I'm gonna this. Crush. Yeah. I'm going to crush. The thing that was so cool about this is like, we go into this acting class and she's really into theater and really want to do this. And we're basically on the same page, like the same level. It's just like, all right, to do this well, we're going to do a bunch of theater games. Um, we're going to do the five, four, three, two, one, five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> we're going to do mirrors. We're going to do all this stuff. And to do it well, you need to be present and you need to not care about what other people think. Both hard to do, but wonderful lessons. Mm -hmm. Hard to do, but I think harder for adults than kids. Yeah, I think you're and right. And so the kids that were in the room, well, they were just going wild like instantly. Yeah. And the parents, you can just tell, and they signed up to be there, but it's still hard to like turn this thing off. And it was like the most joyful thing. I was just beaming the entire time. We did things like we had to each tell each other a story about something that was scary. And then... Zoe had to tell the story from my perspective and I had to tell her story from her perspective. And it was just like, you know, hearing her be like, well, it was a Saturday morning and I woke up, I want to get a lot of stuff done. And you know, my wife was still asleep. It just like, it was so fun. And uh, yeah, I'm just, obviously I'm talking way too loud. I won't shut up talking about this. Actually. I, I have mentioned this to everyone I have a conversation with. So it was a true delight. I love it. Oh, I love it. I want to do that um, forever and yeah, ever. Yeah, So fun. Yeah. Um, and what's going on in your world? What's got you talking to that? Well, Savage, I'm trying to start to get back into a gym routine. Mm. And I've been using Nike, the Nike app, because it is Nike app. free. I thought you meant I've been using Nike. I've shoes. been using Nike shoes. No, I, I use Brooks's for running, but that's a whole other thing. Um, that's a whole, yeah, we won't get into that. We're not going to get into running. This is more like I'm trying to get back just like weights, all that good stuff. Sweet. This routine called for a lot of squats, jump squats, mm. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like deadlift squat things, squat things. Don't know what that is, but cool. <laughs> Great. 
I think I made that up. It was whatever. That's two together, but that's fine. Yeah, that's deadlift fine. slash squats. Um, Deadlifts and also squats. Mm-hmm, a lot of mm-hmm. legs. Yeah. I could not leave the gym. Like I could not walk down the stairs to get out of the gym. So that's what that's I'm talking great. to a lot about. That yeah. starting new things are hard. Mm-hmm. You might not be able to walk down the stairs out of the gym, mm-hmm. but it was still super fun while I was doing it. Okay. And did you get like the endorphin rush I of did. doing it? Like you finished and you're like, oh, I'm a beast. I can't do anything. Well, that was so brief because when I tried to go from like, I'm a beast to then stepping down the stairs, I was humbled. Um, but yeah. Did you have pride that you'd worked hard? I did have pride. I did have pride. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get proud, everybody. Well, let's get proud. Yeah. To an extent. Okay. Stay humble. To an extent. Stay humble, but also let's, get proud. Let's just and- like try new things and try old things that might seem scary. You know, that's a great transition, Sylvie, to AI. There There's you go. There's a lot of new mixing with some old things. Might seem scary. You might only be able to do 65% of what you thought, but uh, you know what? Actually, that's almost exactly from the interview, but that might be more valuable than you thought. Oh my gosh, is this the best setup we've ever had? Holy smokes, you, you crushed, you did that, you did that. Oh, wow. Okay, well, let's jump into this interview. Ben. Welcome to the show. I'm very excited to have you here. You and I have never met, but I feel like I I kind of am getting to know you because I subscribe to your newsletter and I've been a fan of yours. And so I'm excited to have you on the show with us today. I really appreciate that. I'm very excited to be here. Awesome. Um, Well, as you know, this show is called Talking Too Loud because when I get excited, I cannot control the volume of my (laughs) voice. If you see me tweaking knobs over here, it's because I'm talking too loud and peeking out of the microphone. Uh, but we like to start the show by hearing about what's got our guests talking too loud. So I'd love to know what, what's got you excited right now? What, what's got you talking too loud? Yeah, I guess it's AI, which I imagine is the answer for many people at the moment. Um, and we're recording this the day after Microsoft just launched their, like, Bing is back and Edge and all the rest of it that we all probably forgotten um, or don't use. So that's a big a big thing that's happening right now. So AI is just on everyone's mind. It's on my mind all of the time, which is why I started this newsletter as well, because it's just so much going on and it's just exciting. I'm not the type to look at it negatively and just think of, this is cool. This is like, it's an interesting part of being involved in tech and seeing all these like big companies battle it out and like throwing caution to the wind when it comes to their own business models or whatever. Like it's just, it's an exciting time to be in tech, I think, because of this push in AI. Let's go deep for a second and we'll pop back up. But let's talk about the Microsoft announcement. So I think if you're in tech, you probably should know what just happened. But for people who don't know, can you just explain what just happened? Yeah. So so yesterday, Microsoft announced essentially a chat GB or a GPT, a sort of open AI powered Bing. So search will have like a conversational response and it will also show you sources to where it's pulled those responses from. So if you're looking for, I think one of their examples was like, what are the top 10 Mexican artists of all time? And on the one side, it has the traditional what you'd expect, links and ads and all the rest of it. You've got to do the work to do the search. But on the right hand side, it has a like 
a sort of a text coming out of it that says it's this person according to these three sources and then it also links the sources where it's pulled those things from so it it's doing the work for you and giving you the result that you actually search for rather than what i said before which is providing you with hundreds of thousands of links to choose from to then do the work yourself well it's pretty wild yes and it's it's wild that microsoft is doing this i i think for anyone who's just starting to pay attention to ai which is most people right because like it's been very recent like the chat gpt growth crazy 100 million users so quickly um i know you've been following it for longer than most like is it going to be the big companies that benefit most from ai is it going to be like the upstarts i mean you're seeing everything and actually let's just zoom out for a second before you answer this what is Ben's Bytes? How did you get started? I mean, I know it's your daily newsletter, but tell folks, like, how did you get started? When did you get into this? Yeah, so I got into... Ben's Bytes actually started as a very, like, meant to be a funny Instagram, me talking about food that I was eating around the world for the last few years. Only Perfect. when I'm on holiday. There you go. That was literally... <laughs> go. That's what I used that's to call it. That's how it goes. Yeah. And now the name makes sense. Yeah. So <laughs> that's why it's Ben's Bytes, really. Um, <laughs> so last summer... I started playing with Midjourney and I was just like, oh my God, this is different. Like this is really different to anything I've experienced before. And I sold, I've sold my company, my previous company. So I built a company called Makerpad. It was no code education. Sold that to Zapier in March, 2021. And I'm still there now. Um, I'm still at Zapier. And we've, I sort of had a bit of time to chill out a bit and just like not be in the founder mode straight after the acquisition. And then sort of feeling a bit like, oh, I want to tinker with something again. I want to play with something again. I want to like make stuff. I like making stuff. So Midjourney started getting me down that rubber hole really quickly. And I thought, wait a second, there's there's the GPT API. I can add that with Zapier to build a recipe generator app, or I can build like any of these silly little mini apps, which you see lots of those versions of companies built now. Um, so I started playing with that in the summer and then I was like, I'm not, I don't really want to start a company. Like I've got no plans to do that in the, in the near future, but I can certainly cover what everyone else is doing. There's so much going on. Like I can just go on Twitter all day and pull all the stuff that people are making and put that in an email. And I said, I'll do a daily email. I sort of copied what the hustle did and Milk Road. So Milk Road was a crypto version of this. I'm just copying the same playbook that they did. Like it's nothing new. Mm. Um, so October the 10th was the first email send and the actual first two emails were more long form and they were so hard to write and so difficult to do and I was like right I can't do this I need to lug this otherwise I'm just going to not be able to keep it up so I started more curation and then I sort of added my own pics of like a bit of commentary a bit of personality at the top and trying to highlight what some of the bigger things were of the day because there's literally that much going on each day that there's that many things to talk about so Ben's Bites is a, a free daily newsletter Monday to Friday, that just walks you through everything that happened yesterday in AI. So cool tools, any big news, any new research papers that are worth paying attention to. Um, and that's basically it, really. And there's a lot going on. Why is there so much going on in AI right now? I just think it's it's anybody's game. Like there's people talk about moats a lot, which we can get into, but I built a recipe generator app in 20 minutes because the software in quotes is actually just the open ai api so that does all the actual like technical 
I'll figure out the recipe or put it from somewhere and I'll and I'll pass it to you. Oh my god, Ben, I'm devastated right now. That was my app idea. It's gone. Yeah, it's gone. You already you already built it. It's long gone, I'm afraid. It's long gone. Um I'm not an early adopter. There's, a, there's about one hundred thousand of them. Now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, sorry, sorry, Salve. Well, I mean, dreams dashed. I think this is literally what what we're seeing is oh, anyone can build it. So anyone who's can put together a Vassell app or a no code Zapier app, everyone can build these things. If that API is your backend and the thing that does all the magic, everyone can build that. So I remember one one example. I was thinking of sort of training a stable diffusion model on my nephew's face. Can you also just, because people don't know uh, yeah. like what mid-journey is and stable diffusion. And I think that this is a big deal because also like um, mid-journey, I use mid-journey all the time. I love it. And it feels incredibly accessible by how it's set up. But cause, so can you explain what those two are? Because most people, I think, know ChatGPT, but maybe don't know those. Yeah, so mid-journey is an image generation tool, but it sits inside Discord. So you basically are typing, you do slash imagine, and then you just type out, a clown sitting under a tree wouldn't recommend that prompt, but not clowns. Not no, clowns. exactly. Yeah. Um, so Midjourney is an image generation tool, like Dali is. Dali is a similar tool that is on the web that is owned by OpenAI, and then there is Stable Diffusion, which is owned by Stability AI, who decided they what they think everything like in this sort of world should be open source. So they trained their own models and they they did this whole big open data set that. Actually, there's a bit of controversy there at the moment this week um, with Getty Images, I think, sort of suing them, saying you've trained on images that were owned by us. Um, but they're all image generation tools. You can type in a prompt, anything but clowns, and then get an image <laughs> out the other side. So, yeah, that's a that's where a lot of people would would do those things. And I think that's actually where the interest in AI for a lot of people came from is, is literally the images speak a thousand words like that helps people imagine or see something fully created so i wanted to for christmas build a story around my nephew because he loves horses and dinosaurs so it was like could i have ai come up with a story and could i have mid-journey do the images and like make it look like him and and like have dinosaurs and all the rest of it like a pixar type thing could Mm -hmm. you do that oh yeah it might be that your prompt how you're talking to the image generation tool is slightly different. You don't have that Pixar style, but you have something else. So you can really have it as a sort of abstracted to a point where someone like my mum, who's not technical whatsoever, could type in or like upload, here's a picture of my nephew and I want it to be a story about dinosaurs and horses. And she can leave it there. Or on the other side, what I would like to have done would be you really figure out the right prompt, you really figure out the right image styles you want, and you're really playing around with the actual tools themselves to then generate that whole thing. So you can really go as deep or as shallow as you as you'd like with these because people are building versions of these all day, every day. It is really wild to see. I mean, I think it's I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. No. Um, the speed. But there is something magic about it also at the same time, which is why there's so much attention. But like I've done I've gotten into a habit with my kids. My kids are five and seven of uh, playing with mid journey, like in the mornings on the weekend and their imagination so fast that they're just like, I want, you know, some hyper specific thing, like, you know, a dinosaur that's a cyborg that's flying through like a misty, whatever. And then the second, so like, now I want 
and it's completely crazy different. And we just go and like make stuff and write stories. And I think a lot about that too, generationally, like they're going to grow up thinking that that's possible. And what does that mean for like when they're adults, you know, in 20 years, like what's going to happen? Yeah. Um, Cause this stuff is the, the very beginning. This is the infancy of it. Yeah. Even with like the TikTok generation, knowing that your attention span is seconds long, it's almost getting, it's just getting less and less. And knowing that if you can think of something and it'd be generated in a second, how, like, are we just going to become very, very impatient people with everything that has to be like, get to your prompt, like, tell me what you're trying to say to me. You don't need to have all these fluff words around it. It's kind of like that. And I, I'm like that a bit anyway, but it's, I don't know, you could see, you could see how that would be, could be detrimental to like a, like a, a generation growing up and thinking that's the way you interact with everything like if it's interacting with computers i don't think it's that much of an issue because ai is here and is only going to get better and i think the way we interact with software and interact with our computers is probably going to be i told you something i'm expecting the output like that's kind of kind of what you're doing with a lot of this stuff but for the history of the internet so far it's kind of been yeah but i'm i'm browsing the web like i'm looking around it i'm exploring it rather than maybe this happens with more just getting answers yeah Yeah, maybe it's more with like with coders it's i'm putting in a function i'm getting out a response like that is how they work with a bunch of stuff so i'm not a coder by any means um and i do yeah i wonder how that that will affect the whole generation of people yeah it's like that's an interesting question i also think like another trend is like the expectations for quality actually we talk a lot about authenticity but the expectations for quality are also going to go up for everyone. I'll give you an example. Like, um, I'm making a t-shirt for some friends for an event. I can't say what it is. Cause I can't know which friends can't know what it is. Cause people listen to the podcast. <laughs> you understand. And no spoilers. And I was in mid journey making stuff and I'm so blown away by the thing I made. And I'm like, this t-shirt is going to look so good. And it's going to have like be printed for 10 people. And it's it's so bizarre because I have these tools available to me. I can do that. Everyone can do that. And that's like, I just think that that will proliferate. Like quality is going to probably go up and expectations, I would think. Yeah, I, I think so. And that's also the, the issue with these copycat products is you're just going to look for the one that's the best one for you. And it also might be the best one for you is actually a different one for me. Yeah. So that's, that's going to be different. But also... The thing I didn't expect about AI would be, I would have said we would need the output of AI to be 100% correct all of the time before anyone would be willing to have it live wherever they're working. And then if you look at the studies of, or like any behind the scenes of GitHub Copilot, which is essentially a coding assistant. So when you're writing code, again, I'm not a coder, but when someone is writing code, it will suggest to you and say, oh, I think you're writing this function or whatever, like just tap here to enter that piece. And I think there's like Andre Kaparthi, who's probably one of the best software engineers in the world, says that Copilot writes 80% of his code for him now. And but again, looking at the behind the scenes of launching Copilot and how people are using it, it's only right like 50% of the time or something. Like there's only 50% hit rate of what it's trying to say to you Mm -hmm. and you saying, Mm -hmm. yeah, that is correct. Like you might want to say, actually, yeah, it's kind of that, but I just want to change this thing or that thing. 
you know, we did a AI hackathon at the at Wistia at the beginning of the year, and we were talking to folks like, who's already using AI inside the company? And an engineer was like, oh, I use it every day. And I was like, what? He's like, GitHub Copilot. I was like, what? And he basically said the same thing. And I think the thing to me that was interesting is like, we underestimate the value of not staring at a blank page or not staring at like a blank line. Yeah. And it's like, it's so much easier to go from the edit. And I, uh, one of the obvious, like you said it, like the complaints, concerns, the inaccuracies in AI stop people from trying it. And I feel like it's kind of a, a little boggles my mind because so much stuff doesn't work the first time that like, if you assume it will actually get better over time, which I think is a pretty healthy assumption yeah. to make, then like all these places, if you can figure out how to get value out of it when it's working 50% of the time or 80% of the time, I promise you, you'll get a lot of value out of it when you're at 90 or 100. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you try and think, right, I'm going to write a blog post now. I'll write the title first and then I'll go to the introduction and I'm going to write all the way down to the end in one fell swoop and it'll be correct. I don't think, well... I definitely couldn't do that. I don't know many people who feel like they could just do that in one go. Like you try and do anything for the first time, likely you're not going to get it right completely. And I think it's, this is almost the way when I start working with software or working with AI is like this sandwich effect where you start off the creative process and say, right, I want a blog title around these topics. Maybe AI will generate those topics. Then you say, oh, that one's quite good. Let's just tweak that end to be this thing instead. Okay, we got a starting point. Now write me an outline for this blog post. AI will write that and you say, okay, actually, I want it to talk about the implications of AI safety or I want it to talk about what these things are doing versus these things. Um, okay, now write the sections and then AI can start. You're prompting the machine to do the work and then you're like the editor. You're coming in as the... I, I've given the analogy before of like a a conductor in an orchestra. You don't need to know how to play all the instruments, but you can stand there and say a bit more from you over there, a bit less from you there. Now all together now, let's do that, do this. And you can pull together something really like spectacular as long as you know that's what you've got to go in to do. Like you're not in there to just go, write me a blog post on this. Okay, yeah, I'll publish that. Great, done. That's not how it should be. And hopefully people will just start learning. And I know it is a new shift of learning, but... A company Lex, who they are a writing tool with AI baked in, um, they announced a few new features on Monday, and I always thought of Lex as the writing tool. I just thought it was like, okay, this is Google Docs plus AI. So what happens mm -hmm. when Google adds AI? Like mm -hmm. this goes away, sort of thing. But really, the more I was, I was speaking to Nathan, the founder, um, he added like, there's AI suggestions for things. So you highlight a sentence. AI will just like as it leave like a comment that is like, oh, maybe it should say this instead. And you're like, well, actually, it becomes like your AI assistant as like someone sat there and saying, I think that one's a good one, but maybe we should change that. Let's rephrase to this. And it's more about baking in the job rather than the features. It's like, what are you trying to do when you're writing something? How do you want to collaborate with AI on writing something? And I thought that was really something I sort of missed initially and sort of brushed off as a, this is just something plus AI, but actually I think there's a bit more to that thinking and, and what products should be doing when they're thinking about, if I'm building an AI version of this, what does that look like? Yeah, that's cool. It reminds me of, um, I can't remember where I saw this, but someone was writing about like their full self-driving their Tesla 
and full self-driving the Tesla is like really good on highways and like, you know, it can do streets, but it's not all the way there yet. Right. And they're like, look, the highway is boring and long and it's the part that I don't want to do the most. And having a computer help me on this is the, where I'm going to get most of the value and driving at 20 miles an hour through like city streets. I'm not going to get as much value because I'm going to have to pay as much attention as if I was driving anyway. But we underestimate the fact that like, if it really helps us with the highway driving always, that's a huge win. Yeah. Okay. You're looking at this stuff more closely than most and you're documenting it. Um, Where do you think AI will have the biggest impact in B2B? Or is that too big of a question? (laughs) Probably, yeah. Probably is too big of a question. Um, All right. Then just answer it. Just come up with an answer. (laughs) (laughs) I've got time to ask GBT yet. Because um, <laughs> I just think it affects every, it'll affect everything now. Like it's the genie's out out of the bottle, we can't put it back in. There's things like B two B sales, lead management, lead generation. If a lead comes on to your site and they fill out a form and you've got to get back to them, often they like these forms have like job title or salary ranges or things like that. Um, you can just personalize that whole experience for them, and you can do that with like some code and stuff now and sort of say, oh, let, well, th- this will be good and this will be good for you. But you could almost exactly say, I'm a business on the lookout for this kind of software. Um, I wanted to manage my my payroll and all my employees. Um, I am an agency. So you could go and ask this whatever fantasy AI, um, hey, this is what I'm looking for. It would or should be able to look at all the different pieces of software you're looking at and say, well, because you're an agency, I believe that like real-time collaboration is one of your most important priorities. And I think that like really seamless across-country payouts are another one of your top features based on those things that I know about your company and based on what I can see from all of these different tools, this one, Deal, is actually the best one for you to go and manage your HR payroll, everything, because it has all of the things that your company does. And if you think of the process it would take some companies to come to that conclusion, they spend tens of thousands on reports, analysis, looking up sales calls, all the rest of it. If you could literally say, look, I really, really want these features, go and find me what software will do that the best and suit our company the best. Um, Things like that, I think would be really interesting. And again, it comes back to AI is doing the work for you and you're the one conducting it. You're sort of saying, yeah, go find me this, go and find me that. Um, and it's not putting the work on the humans as we are now known. Um, so that's what I think is really interesting there. And what do you think beyond B2B, like what industries are going to be really fast to AI? Like what's your prediction for like the places where we see it the most? Well, everyone's prediction was completely reversed in AI. Everyone thought it'll be like the really mundane jobs, be automated first, truck drivers, things like that, that will be affected by AI first. But it's actually almost the creative jobs, like designers, copywriters, all of these people. And I think it's actually just, it's just the junior versions of these people. We're always going to need very specialist developers, designers. And I just think there's like, people shouldn't, need to do what they don't need to do. So if you're a developer writing code for something, if there's code already out there that does the exact thing that you're trying to do, or there's open source code that you can copy, 
you've got to find that for for a start. But if it is just boilerplate stuff, why can't that just be automated and AI generated? Um, so I think there'll be a, a big shift in lots of sort of junior roles and how people get into those those roles. Um, I, I tweeted an image the other day, which was jobs are raised by AI, and it wasn't me who generated that. But a lot of replies thought I did and were really strongly worded replies to that. Um, and I think it just shows the... like People are nervous. People are nervous of, yeah. oh, actually, this can sort of do this. There was, a, there was a writer at The Guardian who did an experiment saying, can, uh, can this AI do my job better than I can? And the answer was basically yes. Like, no, it did it. <laughs> it did it just as good. Or like, he was like, well, yeah, I can see how this can do it. And like you said before, everything's just going to get better and more specialized. You can train it more. You can make it more human-like and all the rest of it. Like it will, it can do a lot of these things. I'm sure there's so much content out there that is either AI generated or AI assisted to be generated that none of us know about. It's just, it's really difficult to make a prediction in, in such a field that there's new things coming out every day. Like you can you can type in something that will generate a video and then you can type it to say, actually, I don't want it to be a dog. I want it to be a Jaguar. And then it'll just change the image. Like you can see that they're not fully formed, like exactly how you would see it in the movies, but it's that sort of stuff isn't going to be that far away. Um, so you really just wonder, not so much of what, will be replaced but what comes what comes next like how does how does that work like how do we all look at the future of working with ai yeah okay how do we i want to be an ai video producer so what what track do i take there and how do i learn that instead of whatever the traditional track would have been my thought is like that that in this moment because it is scary as you're talking about like the guardian reporter sylvie gasping it's like you know all this like stuff it's like what does this mean what does this mean yeah um I think it's like of utmost importance that if you think your job could be automated by AI, you should be one of the first people playing with it because like you should know what it can do and what it can't do. And if it can give you leverage in that even 50% right state, you can level yourself up to take on other things. And like there will be some jobs I'm sure that will disappear. But another way of thinking about it is like everyone could have, you know, an AI superpower assistant sitting next to them. And uh, it was just like the engineer I was talking about before who told me that they use this every day. Like, they're one of our best engineers at Wistia. I'm not going to tell you their name on this podcast. That'd be insane. But they're, they're one of our <laughs> best engineers. And they're like, I can be much more productive with this. So, of course, I'm going to do it. And I hear that. I'm like, that's the dream. Of course, I want you to be more productive or like even maybe even be more likely to be right because like you have more experiences with that. But this is such a scary moment for a lot of folks. And this has happened before. Like it's happened with the printing press. It's happened with the industrial revolution. It's just never, I don't think ever, we've never gone from like one day, like the printing press, I don't know well enough the history, but I don't think it was a situation of it existed and the next day every book was made with the printing press, right? Like it took a long time. People had to get trained and figure it out and a long time to adapt. And it feels like this is a moment that's like, well, how long was it going to take? And how quickly do we need to adapt is like the scary part of it. But I think the upside is like, if you can figure out how to go from it feeling a threat to actually making you more productive, 
and letting you like take on more important work that only humans can do. That seems like a thing that can level folks up. That that's how I think about it. But I'm I'm interested to hear your opinion about it. Yeah, I think well, similarly to you, I think is if you're the type of person who's looking at everything you do in your job and think this is ridiculous, I could automate this, or this is this seems such a waste of my time because this should be able to be done without me doing it. Like I shouldn't have to copy paste stuff from here to here. I shouldn't have to go and proofread stuff or whatever it is for grammar. Like that should automatically happen. And I think the people who are looking for those gaps and those opportunities to say, oh, there's a tool that sorts that out for me, or there's an assistant that does that, or there's a a VA that will help me with certain things. Like they're the kinds of people who are looking for the opportunities here where other people may be just thinking, oh, well, there's no, what's the point? Like, it's just going to replace my job. And I, and yeah, it won't happen overnight. Um, so I just, I really don't know because I've always been there. I don't know whether it's I'm like a lazy person because I am, but I'm always looking for like, what's the <laughs> shortcut here? What makes me yeah. have to do less in this scenario? And it's not because I think I can't be bothered. It might be to an extent, but it's more that like, this seems we've got all of these tools, all of this software if I'm if I'm doing something and I and I think, oh, I should have automated that or that should be an automation, I'll then go and spend twenty minutes automating it for whenever the next time comes around, even if that one thing happens once every month for five minutes. Um and I just think the people like that will they'll be the ones that become the specialists. And I think if you're a junior person like this, I think just seeing and experiencing things, there's there's something in AI which is re- I'm going to butcher it now. It's real, real-time human, human reinforcement learning. Um, so it's basically like seeing outputs and saying, yes, that is a good output for this input, or no, that is not a good output for this input. So the thing with AI right now is I can't go and get it to create a bunch of code to build a blog website without knowing what code needs to do in order to do that. So how do I learn to do that? If we were going to teach everyone a topic like starting from scratch with ai as the first port of call how would people go and learn to be engineers they would most likely try and build something let me go and replicate the wistia homepage. how do i do that with code ChatGPT can tell you and you say okay well what's this piece do oh that is for the header that's for the hero that's for the the video and all that stuff and these are for these animations and that nav bar or whatever so you sort of you'd learn by doing that over and over again and like building projects and that's how founders end up as successful founders it's usually again it's not their first startup out of the gate they've done it all perfectly and it works it's either the first startup that they've iterated a thousand times or it's their hundredth thing that they've launched and it's because of all the swings and misses that ended up as you get to a place of one that works so I think there'll be a big education piece of like, well, how do we level up these specialists? And there'll probably be a much bigger gap than there is now. Like specialists now are just because they've seen so much, maybe because they've been in the field for 30 years. So they just know this information because they've seen it over and over again. There's no way why you potentially couldn't learn that like on a very quick speed in a short amount of time using AI as your source of that information. It's reminding me of my... Um, nephew who's a PhD candidate and he teaches some undergraduate courses and um, one of the things he does is teaching people how to use SQL and like since December he's been telling them that they need to use chat GPT 
to learn how to write good SQL because he's like, I've learned so much faster using this and like they should learn it. So it's just interesting because like on the one hand, we could look at these situations and be like, well, this means that these jobs are going away. On the other hand, we could look at like, well, we could, this can be the ultimate accelerant because it's like hyper-personalized way of learning, which hasn't like, you could get in a classroom, but the guy in the classroom is telling you, I, ex- I think that the fast way to get this is to use the bot. So it's wild times. Um, okay. I have so many other questions I want to ask you, but I would love to hear, you know, as someone who's looking at this every day, thinking about it every day, you're picking the stuff that's the most like remarkable in there. Um, what do you think are the challenges, like the biggest challenges today with AI? Um, I think it's getting over that hurdle of this is exciting, not scary. Like it doesn't need to be, and I don't know if I'm just an optimist in everything tech that I always look at like, yeah, but what does this enable? Like this is a good thing because, insert answer. Um, So I think that is one thing that people are like, I don't really know what this is. How does it know the answer? Where does it get it from? And all of that, all the rest of it. They're they're questions that people actually- Yeah, speaking my language. Yeah, but it's- All the questions. But also if you type in a Google search, you think, okay, where, how are there 32 million results for this one thing that I've typed in? Like, I don't know where, who these people are writing all of these articles or doing all of these things. Nor do I really care. I just want the result for me. And I think over time, as the tech changes, your behavior changes, you sort of get used to certain things like that. So I think it's playing with it and realizing that like, oh, this actually could be a useful tool. And even your example with the teacher is looking at, okay, do we think students in the future are never going to use AI? It's sort of the similar question of when I was in school, there was a calculator paper and a non-calculator paper. Because you're never going to have a calculator in your pocket at all times. Turns out we do. We have a supercomputer in our pockets <laughs> at all times. Like things change. And I think people are scared to say it's okay for this to be a changed thing. And now education should be whatever you want to learn at whatever depth you want to learn it. Because until you like learning something, it'll never go in anyway. Like you'll never really go down that field or enjoy it or anything else. Like you only ever get to a point where you're really good at something because either you've probably spent so long doing it, but you probably need to really like it to do that. So it's all of these things need to be broken up, but people are just, people don't like change. People don't like changing their behavior. So I think there's a big, there's a lot in in education and like showing the real world, uh, like sort of the world beyond tech, like why this is a good thing, why this is an interesting thing, why this is something you should be playing with. Um, and I think, yeah, more for the students and teachers who are willing. There's another one who, I forget his name now, he's a Wharton professor, and he writes about all of his AI experiments, and I always put them in the in the newsletter, because he's just like, this is what we've done with the students this time. Like, we've, we're just doing all chat GPT stuff. Like, everything we're learning this semester is AI-generated, essentially. And it's just things like that, I think, which really need to to push us all to, like, accept that this is this is fine. Don't worry. <laughs> So the takeaway should be, we should be optimistic, we should play with it, we should try to learn from it, and it's the greatest thing ever. That's what you're telling me? Um, more or less, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and also, like, if I think, yeah, oh, there's dangerous things to be to, that are going to happen in AI, like, I'm not going to be the one to solve it. These big companies with millions, it's up, like it's almost a lot up to them that they've got to figure out this, and that's that's one of their biggest problems to solve is... We've got to make sure this isn't 
going to be detrimental to society. This isn't going to put out hateful speech that would harm somebody yeah. or choose some, like get someone to do something. So, like this, there's, there's only so much we can shout from the sidelines, but it's still that's still a big thing that is on their list to solve. Yeah, totally true. I mean, it's like the challenge of everyone trying to manage social networks. It's like it's a amazing thing to have, and it's unbelievably hard to manage. Yeah. I think that's a, a great place to end. Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was really great. Um, where can people best connect with you? How should they find you on the line? Bensbytes.co would be great. And I'm on Twitter at Ben Tossle, but that's a bit more difficult to spell. I think they can find it. We'll link to it. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, ben, thanks for coming on. This is a delight. Hope to hang out at some point. And I feel like a whirlwind of, of great context around AI in a time when people need the context. So we appreciate you. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, so Ben, I mean, I, I'm really glad that Ben came on. I, I love how he has so much knowledge about this, but a great way of explaining on the ground, like what's actually happening. And I thought his example of, you know, this idea to make this, the storybooks, you know, with the images and the text, it's like kind of this, what's happening in this like watershed moment as the ease of creating things is changing so much. Um, and what we should all try to do about it. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I think you and Ben definitely fall into the optimist camp techno optimists yeah yep tech optimists did you say techno optimist yeah i'm a big i'm a big techno guy when it comes to techno i'm optimistic (laughs) um (laughs) i i think that i think that when i think about ai i think that when i think about ai um Mm -hmm. definitely some of the like you know, what Ben was saying that like one of the biggest hurdles is like that instinctual fear that some people feel when there's like this big new change that's happening. So definitely fall into that camp more than you two. Um, But something I hadn't considered, which I feel like you guys really kind of drilled down on is like, you can, you can play and experiment and learn and still have like your reservations, your concerns, like they don't have to negate each other, I guess is what I'm saying. That's kind of what I took out of it. It's like, yeah, when I hear AI, I think like people getting laid off, like jobs becoming redundant, but maybe it creates new job opportunities. Like, I don't know. And I sort of think that like having that mix of like, let me, let me study it. Let me, yeah, let me like actually play with it while also like having these am i making any sense i'm just yammering you are making a lot of sense and i i understand the fear you're talking about and i think it is um it it is it's funny i've heard it from people on both sides like fear that this might just automate a job away completely and also fear i've talked to people who are like oh i'll check it out it's like this thing isn't always right so i'll never use it right Different, like, different sides of the fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, different sides of the fear. And I just think about it as like, you know, was the iPhone a good moment? Because the iPhone means everyone has a, uh, a computer in their pocket. And then it meant that everyone has the best camera that basically has ever existed yeah. on average. Walking around with that. Is that good or bad? Like you could think photographers could look at that and think, oh, this is bad. And I would argue that probably there's a lot more photographers today than there ever used to be because 
more people and i wish i knew the actual data i'm i'm like pretty sure that that's true but i'm i'm not <laughs> not certain um but because like all these people can get started with it you end up finding that like it's not just a tool it's how you use it and uh i think there's also a question and this is the this is the question that's kind of looming that i would say the pessimists about ai would throw out uh which is like is this actually not a big deal hmm that is not the question that I would ask, but yeah, well, you have, I mean, there's a, you have room because, in like, your brain to ask that. Yeah, is it not as big of a deal as people think? Because like, why is AI? Why is the chat results on Bing different than just having a really great result in the search engine? Why is that different? There's an yeah. algorithm that's figuring that out, and we don't understand how it works. And like, if you wanted that data before, you had to go find a researcher to help you. Like, it's so. How is this that different? Like, is this remarkable? I, I know when, is, when, when you when you but, say it like that, like yeah, I I I get, I understand what you're saying, like or like. Well, it's like why is it any different than spell check or grammar check? Like, it's just the next version. It's it just it's so comprehensive and like so grand. I guess is the thing that makes it is the differentiator for me. I mean, when I like keep kind of playing over the conversation in my mind, I think there's like three big pieces to this conversation. Like one is like what AI products can do in the next five, 10 years. Like what are we going to see? Then there's how's that going to change human behavior? Like how's that going to impact society? Then there's the, the feelings that we as humans have about AI and like that intersection with every aspect of our lives. And I think maybe it's just like, we're gonna see how these things play out. Like, I, I think it just is, right? We don't know if it's good or bad, it kind of just is. I think it's also, it's a big difference if like, this stuff isn't, which I think will happen. This will be incorporated into products left and right that you already use. And it's not gonna be called AI. It's just gonna be like, summarize this, give me the key points or give me ideas or write the title or write the description. And you're gonna be like, oh, thanks. And if you think it's good, you'll use it. And if you think it isn't, like you won't use it. I, I do know what you're saying though, which is like, if at the highest level, the general purposeness of the AI is that you can literally ask, go to one place and ask every different variant of question on any topic and get the right answer, be pointed in the right direction. That is different. And that is what ChatGPT is like, which I think is like, what's so remarkable about it. And that seems scary on the one hand and exciting on the other. But I do think that in general, and this is not about AI, like anytime there's something that is scary, that's gonna impact your life or your job, I think generally running towards it ends up making it less scary because you have more of a grasp of like, what can it actually do? Or what are the, what are the, like you have more time to really understand like what the impact of it is going to be if you can run towards it. And I think the nice thing about this is like, at least it's free. Like chat GPT is free. Anyone can use it. You just sign up and use it versus it being like, imagine if it was $10,000 a month. Right. Like and super everyone's dated. so incredible, but like 99% of people couldn't use it. What then? Like, what would that be? Because well, that, that right. almost seems like, you know what I mean? Like that's, that feels scarier to me than the world where at least it's democratized. All right, Savage. I hear you. I hear you loud and clear. 
Okay, good. Well, um, if you want to hear us again loud and clear, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, wherever you watch them. Um, we're all over the place. If you like the show, or really if you love it, I think if you love it, please rate and review it. That really makes a difference in terms of other people hearing about the show. It helps us get better guests. It helps us have more interesting conversation. And um, if you have feedback or ideas, you can always email us at ttlpod at wistia.com and we'd love to hear from you. Sylvia and I are both on Twitter, your favorite social network. <laughs> Good okay, one. Sylvie's giving the loot. I'm C Savage. Um, we're on LinkedIn. We're on all the platforms. So always love to hear from you. And I think that's it. I think that's it. All right. See you, Sylvie. Bye. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia. Hosted by Chris Savage. Produced by me, Sylvie Lubau along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.